Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Cast and Crank Podcast. Today we have B-Roll. So this is all uh, podcast audio that never got released due to audio quality um, or things need to be chopped up and it just didn't work out. Uh, First one is going to be Big Poncho, Gary Reyes, Brian Sanner, and Bobby Martinez. It was a bait maker roundtable. It was a fun one. But the audio just didn't come out the way I wanted to, so uh, we didn't release it. But I'm just going to do it as a B-roll for you guys. The next part is Dwayne. It was another one that it didn't work out right. Uh, I think on that one, Fred and Hopper sat in. It was a fun time. And then after that is Dustin Crowell. Uh, he's the 805 head brewer. That was an audio issue. I'm still putting it out. Like I said, I don't like doing call-ins. I just don't like the way it sounds. It's my own personal opinion. So uh, I might do more later because it might need to be done. But for now, I'm trying to get away from it as much as I can. So this is a great interview with Dustin. He's a head brewer for uh, 805. And then, um, excuse me, uh, Ballast Point. This was the first uh, like on-site one I did. We did it at Ballast Point in the, I think it was like in the barrel room. It was really cool. But the audio came out really bad. I actually screwed that one up. Uh, Matt Moyer, I apologize. I always tell him. I fucking lost his track. So, uh, yeah, I was a noob, and they fed us a lot of beer that day, and I fucked it up. So I put a little bit of there, some good parts. And then the last one is Evan's round two. So there's a couple Q&A questions. He talks a little bit about the still of June. It's a great one. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. And I'm going to uh, start with the regular episodes next week, which will be Mark Kagashi. And then from there on out, I think we're going to have uh, – Lloyd Gomez on after that. I think uh, 86 Bates, West Coast Tuna, which is Ken. And then um, Alan Watson from The Dreamer. And then the deckhand, Melissa Perez, is going to be on there too. So listen out for those in February. Hopefully something really good is going to come up. Or we might do something cool. Cross your fingers. But I'm going to leave you with uh, Brian Sanner saying something pretty funny. And something pretty true about the podcast. <laughs> Anyone who's listening to this podcast, don't take offense to anything we said. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I know there will be. And we'll do a poncho. Yes, sir. (laughs) 
Tell us how you started getting into the whole uh, bait making experience. Well, um, 53 years old and fishing calico bass for a lot of years of my life. And uh, way back when, I started using plastics and I really loved using them. Um, the reason why I got into it was uh, because of the passion of the sport. Mm-hmm. And um, I went on a, uh, it was a seven day trip out of uh, San Felipe. And uh, we were fishing for this uh, fish called the Cabrilla bass. Mm-hmm. Well, throwing these these plastics, it took me 12, a dozen baits to catch one Cabrilla bass because there was trigger fish out there. And it, <laughs> I just went to a local tackle store and must have spent $300 on plastics. Damn. And I came back with nothing. So um, the Lord uh, blessed me with creativity in my hands, and I've always been pretty good with my hands and building things. And just got into it, and it was a passion, and there I was, you know, making baits and enjoying them and having people enjoy them as well as I did. You know, that's why yeah. I got into it. Yeah, you guys are both big names, and then uh, you guys had an apprentice to approach you, huh? Yes. To the left? Yes. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Gary. So, Gary's been on the podcast before. I thought it'd be cool to have him in, though, because you guys kind of all are a little circle where he went to you guys for help on when he started, kind of, Gary, right? Yeah, yeah. I reached out to Poncho back when I was interested in making swim baits. Yeah. So, it's kind of cool to have uh, the different walks of bait making, huh? It was a joy, you know. I um, I got a I had a a person that was teaching me from Japan. Um, oh, got really? on Got on bloody decks, and they had a uh, um, handmade fishing lure section on there. And I watched this guy's tutorials, and they, they really interest me a lot. So I got into making them, and then for a while there, it was just like making one a day, and went through a lot of silicone. And it's a very expensive hobby to have. Oh, I bet <laughs> so expensive, but it was just like it was. I was. Uh, it was driving me, right? Because now I was seeing what these things were doing, and then other people were reaching out to me, and I'm a very helpful person, right? I'm, yeah. I've always been a giver, so I give. <coughs> never want anything in return, but you know what? I get something in return. I get smiles, bro. Yeah. I'm in the smile You get to business. meet all these cool people next cool to you, right? People. All you guys uh, tournament fish. Did you tournament fish before, too, Big Monty? No. Never. Never. So I, just did, I did some tournaments back in Ensenada. Juan used to have some tournaments back in Ensenada, and um, it was tuna, um, yellowtail, and, and calico bass. So okay. back in the day, I used to do that. Um, other than that, I never tournament fished here at all. Okay. Well, I'm going to bust out some questions because we got a lot of uh, good questions for you guys, bait-making questions. Yeah. Pull up the text messages. Uh, my question was sanding the bait to get it to look smooth. I always had a fucking little bubbles or some shit. How well, how many times were you sanding it? Um, what type of paper? Well, I'll just use like uh, really. I use thousand uh, grit. After well, after <laughs> I hit it with the Dremel, I use just a rough, just a rough grit sandpaper. I don't have anything in particular. Just a really rough grit mm-hmm. and smooth it down. Then I use a real uh, a finer grit, a real fine grit, and then. Um, I'll do the whole bait in in spot putty, okay, and and smooth out all the imperfections, and then sand that like maybe wet sand type of grit, mm-hmm. that real fine vine stuff. Wipe it down really good. Everything's really smooth right there, and then I'll put my bolts in and glue those into the back of the bait, and then I'll just shoot it with like maybe five layers of urethane, and let it let it cure, and then I pour the uh, put it in the box and pour the mold. Yeah, comes out pretty well, good. They, they come out really smooth. Yeah, baits. Yeah. Nice. So, what about the difference? I guess it would be with you, Poncho. How do you do? Yeah, that? what do you do, Poncho? Um, I use Sculpey clay, and uh, what I do is, uh, back when I was in high school, I, I took an automotive and body class. So, I've learned to take uh, dents out of cars, and I use that um, those techniques. 
So taking it, basically using the spot putty that he's using. I use primer. What I've got to learn over the years of making baits over the 10 years is that the smoother the body of the bait is, the better the mold's going to come out. Okay. The shinier the bait's going to come out. Yeah. And that's what I've learned. Yep. Um, throughout the time, too, I've learned to maybe heat up the molds before you do that. Wow. Maybe pouring in some junk junk plastic within the molds to get them hot. Wow. You want to get that sheen inside well, there, the oil. Well, tell them why, though. Tell them, because I know why you do that, but tell them why you heat the mold. Why do you heat the mold, Pacho? I heat the mold to to to, to expel the oils that is, that are that basically within the silicone itself. Um, the plastic itself has oil. It's there's an oil base inside the the material that we use. It's called plaster salt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the other reason, well, the reason why I do it, and I do the same thing. I keep a lot of old plastic just for that reason to heat the mold, mm-hmm. because when you pour plastic, if you want to, if you're selling baits to some guy, he doesn't want to see any part lines. Like like yeah. when you sep- when you have color separation. You don't want to see any lines in there. And when you got a cold mold and you mix, you have different layers of color, you'll get a line because the bait, the mold is cold. Yeah. You heat the mold up and you get a better looking uh, finished product. Yeah. It just, you, the, the plastic doesn't cool as fast. So you don't have, like if you're pouring um, a bait with hard lines, hard color lines, you get a lot of those um, imperfections in the bait if you don't. Warm the mold. They're called cold cracks. Is okay. what, they're, what yeah, they're called. So pretty much. As you're as you're pouring these baits and you learn the technique as to how to do it, um, what I've learned over the over the years is that everything's a time based, temperature based thing as you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you wait too long, you're going to get those cold cracks that he's that uh, Brian just mentioned. Um, there's other techniques that we use too. We use a we use a, a propane. Damn. Propane torches, a little propane torch to actually heat the plastic and some of those uh, imperfections come out because... I'll pour base for somebody and right. there'll be some imperfections. I'll, I won't give it to them because they'll bitch. Right. But I'll keep it for myself <laughs> yeah, and right. I preach yeah. those and they still kill it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah another question is, is, did you guys have... <laughs> Did you guys have on this uh, edition of Bait Wars? <laughs> yeah. Bait Wars. One of the first kind of weedless people to bring the weedless around. Were yeah. you guys kind of a part of that? Well, I know. Go ahead. Well, I think right. it was. Uh, what was it? The uh, Pearl. I think was. Def- I think Pearl preceded MC. I'm not sure. I I know I had mine. Yeah, right and then around I think like Poncho, Robert and then Legrimas. Yeah, and then it was. Um, Reeves came Reeves? out with oh, that. Reeves, pers- yeah, exactly. And I don't Persuader, know Reyes, Reyes, was Reyes. I don't one know. One of the. I was. He came right in into like the after the, all that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Came in like right at near the end. And I'm sure we're forgetting a few. I, I, Which, maybe. Well, there's, so there's, there's I mean, Ben and Reggie who. Well, oh yeah, OTS. Well, I know. I mean, they, 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 yeah, they were making some. They were they were definitely in there before me. Ben's a Ben's a big woodcarver. Yeah, like Brian. No, he's like a great OTS. Like those guys do. OTS was before I was doing it. Right. And. And for me as a fisherman, I mean, tournament fisherman too, like, to get your hands on these kind of baits, it's like, you can't go to a store and buy them. Right? And the these thing, are garage guys, and that's but why they're I like great. having these three of you guys. It's like, you guys aren't, nothing against big companies. No, I think no, that's no, amazing. no, 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 But you guys, you can't just go buy your stuff at a store. No, I think that's no. the and, cool part of having. And, and these guys might not sell you a bait. It's not because they're jerks. It's because, like, there's a lot of knocking off too, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I, that's. I don't, yeah. I don't have that talent to carve something and do it, but these guys, I can see them, you know, like burning the candle, you know, at night <laughs> making baits, and then for somebody to um, knock it off. It, I didn't real, I didn't even realize I was real gullible. I didn't realize how easy it is to knock off a bait. It is, know? it is, and it's, I mean, 
it's kind of sad because these guys just want to make a couple bucks just to, um, you know, pay for their material and, and maybe, you know, fun fish or tournament fish, whatever. Yeah. And, and yeah. it, it no, just kind yeah. of messed you up. Know, I, you know? I remember the first time, the first baits I ever gave out on Weedless, the first baits I ever gave to anybody was to Scotty and Mike. And that was, I actually drove down there on to a tournament that, uh, I don't know who it was, that was a... Uh, I don't know if it was SBS or whatever, but I gave it to them, and uh, the next day I get a call or or something from Scotty, I think it was, and it was like, uh, "Oh man, these baits are going to revolutionize the industry," blah blah blah, you know. And I was stoked because yeah, they 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 killed it, you know. They did really good at San Clemente, but you know, back in the day, San Clemente was, you know, it it bit really well, just like everywhere else, you know. And now it just kind of went to the you know it's it's not as good as it used to be yeah it's know? changed yeah. it's changed, changed you know and and uh you know i was i was pretty stoked about it you know and and um i don't know i mean it kind of went a little sideways i think with with scotty and mike and, and me but <laughs> but you know you, but, but you sound even, a little bit I, I don't, no, no, yeah. no. tell I don't me even, how you really feel I tell even, me more no, no, tell no. me more i don't yeah. I, I don't even know where it all really came from, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think it was maybe a, uh, a lot of miscommunication between us. You well, know? I feel like the whole <laughs> from the outside looking in. I've been doing this for about six months, and I feel a lot of things. There's a miscommunication yeah, with people because I, I feel like I feel like fuck everyone. You know, I everyone I had on has been fucking cool. <clears throat> so we're, we took a little break, real with guys. Uh, Beer break and a beatbox break. <laughs> a little more. Um, so we're talking Let's get the band back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are we doing? So, so the, inf- the influence in Instagrams, you know, it's the gnarliest thing because, again, it, back to the double-edged sword thing, you can, you can make this glorious life or this glorious fishery or these glorious days of fishing and you can feed them like everything is everything bites and everything good and every day you're catching fish. Well, that's not the case, dude. It's it really isn't. It's a good tool to let people know what you're doing. You know, like I don't do anything that's old. Like everything I do is really, really relevant and because I don't want to falsify what's actually going on. So you do like whatever yeah, relevant yeah. with fishing. You're yeah. not trying yeah, to if do there's old anything shit. old I put, it'll be a throwback <clears throat> Thursday or Tuna Tuesday or you know, whatever. And I, <laughs> hey, actually, well, if you, I like that one, Tuna hey, Tuesday. Hey, I like that's that. Dig, dig back really my stuff. <laughs> I, I, I really don't even play that game because guys can't even. You'll be like hashtag Tuna Tuesday and explain it, and they're like. Oh, when'd you catch that? <laughs> <laughs> Thursday, Tuesday, <laughs> on the flashback Tuesday, uh, and I, I, you know, and I learned that from trial and error. Yeah, but at the same time, you really want to teach them the right way to do it. You want to teach them, you know, if you're on a hot bite and you found it, dude, show yourself some respect. You you put you paid the fuel to put in your boat. You paid the, you know, you took the time off of work or you know whatever. Why would you go and shit on your own doorstep, dude? Like, hey, take that. Keep it to yourself, dude. Like, a lot of times, dude, I got, like, honestly, six dudes that I share stuff that I have to share it with just because that's the way to go. You know, if, if you're, it's not a two-way street, you don't get any back when you give any forward, you know? And yeah. So you keep that stuff to yourself. Keep it in your back pocket. And, you know, tide turns, mood changes, crowd fills in. You know, let the other guys know. But, <clears throat> you know, you, you want to learn how to 
keep stuff relevant but not relevant and at the same time show everyone else what it's about you know and the other thing with instagram is like you know it's getting it's 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 a deep wormhole so it's just it's a a misleading thing dude it's just like i have such a hard time just making it a chest pound you know, it's like you 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 don't want to be like, okay, now I'm on fish, and it's it's three days later, and I'm the man. No, no, someone else gets on the fish as as soon as the crowd gets on, someone else is in the post. Instead of being like, oh, I'm the man, I ran supreme on somebody before. No, just do one by one. Never ever try to blow something out of proportion. You know, you you want to keep everything relevant. You 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 want to keep everything obtainable. You want to make sure that the guys who view your stuff feel like they can do it too because guess what, dude? We're in Southern California. Fishing is not a mystery. No one here is better than anybody. It's all about opportunity. It's all obtainable. It's about the opportunity you're giving and what you can monopolize off it. So at that point, you just you you, you give it to them at an attainable level because if you don't, you're bullshitting yourself. I've watched guys that I've had on my boat Two weeks before, and first time they've ever fished yellowtail, gave them a little one-two. They're on my boat. They catch fish, and they're really smart. They're like sponges. They absorb. And they go out, and they go and outfish me. It's Damn. a true thing. It, it happens, dude. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, man. Like, a lot of guys will sit here and say that, no, no, the man and us <laughs> I, I sell stuff and info. And I, 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 it's not like that, dude. Guess what, dude? It's all attainable. It's fishing. You know, and it, it, it reverses back and forth. It, that's just the way it is. And if you really want to get people eye to eye level and you really want to get people's attention, you really want them to believe in you, you be honest. Truth. Yeah. Truth Oath. be told. Oath. There you go, dude. That's correct. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Yeah. And I like hearing the people's uh, opinions on it. It's, yeah. It's, uh, everyone's got a different opinion, you know, like yeah. on the, the oh, dude, like things. assholes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's different than mine. <laughs> That's for sure. Really? <clears throat> but, mine yeah. smells more. <laughs> <laughs> <So Well>. <laughs> Gee. All right. It's rolling now. <clears throat> All right. Welcome to cast and crank. We have another uh, guest from a little farther up north. Where are you from, Dustin? Uh, I live in San Luis Obispo, California, and work in Paso Robles. There you go. So uh, it's Dustin Crawl. Um, I seen him on Instagram. I just saw a cool fucking video 805 had. And I kind of want to keep moving up north more to get some uh, different guests, you know, not just Southern California. And uh, if I see something cool, like I always say, I, I hit him up. And Dustin was like, let's do it, man. So let's talk about uh, how you grew up fishing and where you grew up fishing at since it's not Southern California. Kind of tell us a little bit more about up north from us, like a central California. A little sure. More. Yeah, well, actually, I, I did grow up in Southern California. I, I grew up in Huntington Beach, went to Huntington Beach High. Um, wasn't a huge angler in my youth. Um, I was a big surfer, surfed on the surf team and you know, always had a love for the ocean for sure. Um, but I kind of did start my fishing, uh, fishing bass and, in, in uh, golf courses and Costa Mesa and my live with my mom. She was a single parent and she rented out a room. To this uh, guy, uh, Paul Schuyler, he's one of my best friends and it's always been like a fishing mentor to me. Uh, he worked on, um, 
charter boats in San Diego for quite a while and now operates tugs. But uh, he'd always take me out at night and we'd flip lures into bass ponds and kind of got turned on by the, the feel of largemouth just stumping on you. Yeah. Um, so that, that was fun. But really my, my passion for fishing kind of started when I moved up to Humboldt. Um, same guy, Captain Paul, I call him. He uh, had a small boat. And we used to go out of the um, harbor mouth in uh, Humboldt and uh, just whack salmon like right out front. And yeah, I'll never forget my first salmon got on a, a deep six and and uh, anchovy, and it was you know <laughs> twenty five plus and wow, just that's nice. Lit, yeah, lit me up. It was super fun, and, <laughs> and ever since then, I just been you know really putting some time into fishing and and um what until about four or five years ago that i I bought my first boat um what kind of boat is that i my first boat was a little aluminum 14 foot starcraft with the 25 horse and uh you know pretty questionable to take out in any sort of weather (laughs) i was gonna ask you i'm like it seems like a little uh (laughs) up north the weather seems a little harsher than it does down here when you you launch (laughs) <laughs> yeah Morro bay harbor mouth is you know it can be a tricky one so i just basically picked my days and went when the weather was nice and the seas were flat and um it was super fun but i just kind of got tired of not finding rides to go fish so so fuck it and bought a boat and uh fish rock cod and you know worked for salmon and sea bass and you know our, our fishery is kind of a unique one up here that you know, we're like the southern edge of where you're able to catch salmon. Uh-huh. Um, so it's not terribly productive as it would be in, you know, Monterey or Santa Cruz or San Francisco or Bodega. Obviously, it gets much better salmon fishing, but we do get some. So, um, and I got to put your efforts in to get them. But so it's kind of kind of like our uh, stripers down here, where we, much, we get yeah. a decent amount of them. They're okay, but. Not not constantly and pretty much same. Not constant. Yeah, okay. we have some years where there's no fish to be caught really, okay. and uh, some some kind of stellar years where you can go out and get a couple fish on a day, and it's it's pretty epic. Um, likewise, we're on like the northern edge of where sea bass might migrate to, so we don't get a ton of them, but on occasion we get them, and and that's probably our most exciting bite when we when the sea bass you know, are around you. That's when Usually you start, late That's when you start calling you know, in sick. <laughs> once the squids start coming in and um, if you get lucky enough to find a pocket of squid that's not occupied by 20 or plus other boats and <laughs> kind of just, you might, you might set anchor, make some squid and be patient and wait for them to come through. And, and on occasion that pays off. So it's uh, it's a, like I said, it's a unique fishery in that we're on the Southern edge of some Northern edge of others. Uh, but we do have a really nice uh, rock cod fishery, which is, you know, pretty healthy year round. And uh, they close that Jan through April. Uh, so we're coming up on fishing season right now. Salmon and cod will open up here in the next week or two. So everyone's getting their gear together and starting to communicate. And we'll start looking for bait and see if we can find a, a pinky in there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What kind of uh, gear do you like to use? Uh, I mean, it depends on what I'm doing. Salmon, you know, we don't mooch them here. There's just not enough in numbers. We troll them. Um, so I like to take one other buddy out on my boat, you know, for trolling salmon. Two guys is perfect. Uh, I actually just bought 
you know, I was looking for the right rod for downrigger rods. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just bought a Lama glass, uh, glass rod, nine foot downrigger, which a lot of guys up in the Pacific Northwest love these guys and, and fish their gear a lot. So I wanted to try it out and I was actually just showed up in the mail yesterday. So I was bending on it a little bit and kind of stoked to put that thing to work, but big long wet noodle you know <laughs> uh, something to take out the slack when they do bite and and keep them on when they start head shaking because um we do fish and barbless do you uh go to tackle warehouse and you up that way uh, i do go to tackle warehouse yeah they're you know they've they focus a lot on um freshwater fishing and be perfectly honest i don't do a ton of freshwater fishing i, I most of my fishing comes in the ocean so yeah. they have some stuff for us but um you know i order a lot of my stuff uh or when i'm down south i actually tend to buy a, a lot of gear there's just a lot more shops um you know being a huntington beach native i i frequent shark bait um okay. look on on the, their website for deals quite regularly and um i really like a, a tackle shop called angler's choice in san diego uh when i go tuna fishing on charters and stuff i i always stop in there and guys are super helpful and knowledgeable and they got they got everything in there from trout and bass to you know jumbo tuna rigs so you can get everything you need out of their little shop which is pretty pretty cool yeah it was funny i was just editing uh evan salve's podcast and he said the same exact place english choice yeah Yeah. i was turned on to it by a guy that was out of uh, one of the yacht clubs down there and um he sent me over there and I was, you know, as tight as that little store is, I got a ton of gear. So uh, I was stoked. And it's, I typically go out of Seaforth. I charter a boat every year. Um, usually, uh, you know, Greg Gowett and his family owned uh, Pride and Aztec. And I'd go on those boats quite a bit. Really like fishing with that guy. And uh, he recently sold the Pride to a gentleman, uh, Jason Zener. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, uh, we went out on his first ever charter last year, and although we didn't get on many fish, um, there was a lot of boats that didn't that time of year. It was a July trip, so it was kind of hit and miss. Um, that wasn't his fault. The guy worked super hard. Is you know he was paying good attention to his crew. He was binoculars at his face nonstop, and I really liked his fishing style. And I actually booked again with him this year and. I got a later trip in October with some of my friends and I like that one. Cause we can just go 12, 13, you know, deep and have plenty of boat room. Doesn't cost us a fortune and, uh, I just really dig his style. So I'm pumped. I actually just booked that thing recently. So I'm really looking forward to going down. And that's, that's super cool. Um, what about some of your, uh, PBs up there? So you're fishing a um, lot of rock cod, a lot yeah. of that. Sea, uh, white you know, I'm, I don't have a ton of like big fish under my belt. You know, my biggest bluefin's probably in the 80 pound range, which is nice. And I was stoked as, as anything when I got that. My actual, my personal best fish was came on that little 14 foot aluminum boat. Um, <laughs> there, there was a little bit of squid around, but the same, this is up here and there's a, the saners had come and kind of mopped everything up. So, there wasn't big balls to find and work. So we we're just kind of jigging for squid, picking off pieces here and there, drifting, uh, halibut, sea bass. And, and, uh, all of a sudden, and there was this fucking fur bag following us around all day, you know? <laughs> and, 
just fucking just scaring the squid, cleaning me up. We hooked him once already, busted off, and you know we moved. Fucker followed us, and I had a couple sets in the water, and all of a sudden my rod just went, you know, slow bend to line ripping. And I picked up the rod and I started working it for a minute. And the thing was pulling so hard. I thought it was that fur bag again. <laughs> and and then all of a sudden he pops up next to the boat. And I realized that I was on a fish. The thing about spooled me. Uh, I was fishing a little lighter tackle than I probably should have been. I was on like 30 pound test on a Torium 12, I think. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, the thing was about ready to go bye-bye and then all of a sudden slack in the line i was like oh no and i start whining 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 um he had turned and swam back to the boat and by the time i got tied on him he was right under the boat boom bent me under the other side then he turned again he wrapped me around the prop filled the motor up dipped the tip down got it free and fought it for another couple minutes and then floated this fucking massive sea bass and he was probably 20, 30 feet from the boat when the thing fucking just croaked. <laughs> I start, you know, slowly bringing it towards the boat and that fucking fur bag came up and just started wailing on the thing. Oh fuck. But he was, he was trying to gnaw on his head and it kind of reminded me of like a, a boxer dog with a basketball. Like yeah. he just couldn't get it all, you know? <laughs> And he's just teeth marking it and teeth marking it. And I'm yelling at the thing as loud as I can. Ah, you motherfucker, get out of here. My buddy's on the boat, like, looking around for something to throw at the thing, a piece of lead or something. And he doesn't find anything right away. So he just leans over, starts yelling. Ah! And it was just enough that the thing took his mouth off it. I kind of buttoned it down, wound it. Buddy reached over, stuck a gaff in its nose, and brought it over. And... um yeah, that went that went over fifty pounds, and it was wow. you know one of my favorite fish of all time. Just because the I could have lost that thing three times. He almost pulled me, wrapped me around the prop, got fur bagged. So uh, when we got that thing on my little boat, it, it was uh, we went from yelling, you know, bloody murder <laughs> to jumping up and yelling, you know, and high fiving, and it was a pretty uh, rich moment in in my life for sure. You were on your fourteen footer. I was, yeah. Dude, that's sketchy kind of, right? Well, I mean, it was a nice day, nice day. so it have was, you have you been I was, caught? I was close to port, so I, <laughs> I, I wasn't I wasn't sketch, but it it was just uh adrenaline rich for sure. Have you been caught in a rough day like you know sometimes weather will change. I know I have a 17 foot low. So yeah. uh I've been out before where it's like oh shit, I should probably head back in, you know, like Yeah. You know, I, honestly that boat was probably one of the best things that happened to me because it taught me a lot about paying close attention to the weather and your conditions and, and not even when you start the day, but all throughout the day. And if the wind starts picking up, starts getting gusty, start seeing texture on the water, you know, I just didn't risk it. And it, I had so much fun when I could fish that, you know, it's always better to go home and be able to fish another day. So I just pulled the plug and head in. And luckily that thing ripped, man. It would go like 30 miles an hour. Shit. So I was able to get in pretty quick. And I, I tend to stay close uh, in the summertime. Our winds come from the north. So I'd typically go to the north. Uh, that yeah, way it'd, be, they... it'd push me back if I had to call it a day. Yeah, yeah. What uh, type of boat do you have now? Uh, I got an Arima Sea Chaser, 17-foot 
bow, uh, really perfect for this sort of fishery that we have. Um, super wide beam, fish is really good, super stable, you know, foam filled, gives you that that uh, comfort in case, you know, you did hit something and put a hole in your boat. It's not going to sink. <laughs> you have something to hold on to while help comes. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I love that boat. It's got a little 75 horse Merc on it. That's been, you know, super reliable. I haven't had any issues and I, I got it off a local guy that uh, commercial fished it and, you know, he put great electronics on it, really took care of the motor. So I'm extremely happy with that boat and it does me right. And then I could tow it with my Tacoma. Uh, it doesn't weigh very much either. So, um, Keeps me keeps me limber and nimble. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, another reason why I saw you, uh, if you've noticed, we like drinking beer on this podcast. Absolutely, and uh, it's pretty cool. You're so you're a brewer for eight oh five. Yep, I'm the head brewer at Firestone Walker Brewing Company. Oh, and wow. eight oh five beer. Yep. So let's talk about your uh, trip through that because I know there's a lot of dudes that that actually home brewers are a couple that follow the podcast and. Sure. You know, I, I I love beer, and I could keep talking about beer all day long. So let's cool. talk about how you started and you got into that, too. Well, I actually did start as a home brewer myself. I, um, growing up, I was uh, kind of baby-faced, didn't have a lot of older friends, couldn't, couldn't get beer <laughs> as much as I wanted to before I turned 21. And uh, I just kind of picked up a couple books and learned how to home brew it. I remember my, my mom walked in the garage one time. I was 17 years old and I was making a 10 gallon batch of beer in the garage. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm making beer. She's like, you're what? I'm making beer. And she's like, well, how much beer are you going to make? I'm like, I'm going to make 10 gallons of beer. And she's like, well, I get half. I'm like, okay. That's a Sounds deal. like a deal. Yeah. So, so I started in the garage and then uh, I moved up to Humboldt to go to college. And um, I got a job at Lost Coast Brewery as a, as a, well, as a dishwasher and uh, kind of worked my way up as a home brewer. I was asking the brewers questions to improve my techniques and skill set, And they saw my interest and, uh, they asked me to come in the back a couple of days a week and assist and kind of clean kegs, move grain around and, um, do kind of the, the dirty jobs. And I was loving that. And, uh, I kind of just moved around a little bit after college, went to Marin County. I uh, got a job at a brewery called Moylan's and also at their sister brewery, uh, Marin Brewing. Um, and I kind of really got my first brewing job that way. Um, then, you know, I, I, I grew up down South and I just kind of want to get a little bit closer to the family, but mm-hmm. I just don't really love the, the hectic pace of Southern California myself. So <laughs> I, I, I decided on San Luis Obispo where I used to come up and surf as a kid all the time. And I knew I, I liked it. And at the time, Firestone was just, just getting going. Um, that was 2001 and I got a job on the bottle line, uh, worked to run independently the keg line. Uh, we do a, a, a barrel union where we do a primary, I'm sorry, primary fermentation in Oak barrel. I, I got a job uh, working those and then into the cellar, then into the brew house. And after uh, a couple years of that, I, I became head brewer. Um, never really looked back from there. I love my job. I love my team. Uh, and certainly I love the products that we make. We're, we're all pretty psyched on what we do. So 
um, that's kind of how I got into it. And, and then from there, we just keep kind of formulating recipes and figuring out what the customers want and building brands and products that are relevant and, and, um, uh, keep everyone employed. And 805 is certainly uh, our biggest beer and, um, we've marketed it in my opinion, perfectly. Yeah. And dude. we really attract a lot of different clientele in that video that you were saying, which to YouTube, you know, Dustin Crowell or 805 Authentico. And we have a bunch of series of these videos where um, it's just kind of like people representing the brand through their lifestyle. You know, you got dirt bike riders and farmers and painters and, you know, kind of a lot like your guests, not just fishermen, but people who have also, you know, other interests in them. And, and, uh, I was fortunate enough that they selected me to do some video and had a gentleman by the name of Brandon Lutz come out and fly drone, uh, footage over the boat and get on the boat and put him on some rock cod. And, and we had a really fun time and uh, I thought the video came out pretty sick and I'm pleased with it. That's cool, man. Yeah. So you, you have an involvement too of like, choosing like uh when you're making a new beer or you're thinking of new ideas you'll kind of formulate that too yeah i mean we do a lot of this stuff as a team certainly that's my cool boss, yeah that's super who's cool. our brewmaster matt brennelson has essentially final say over what we're doing but we collaborate together as a group we have a research and development program with uh, people running that and you know a lot of us have been doing this for a long time so we know what you know, how to do what we're doing and what kind of flavors people are looking for. And, you know, some exciting things that we do are like our Luponic Distortion series. Mm-hmm. That's a that's an IPA where we rotate the hop profile on that beer and we change the dry hops on them frequently um, through each series. Right now we're on 12. Um, wow. And what we're doing is we're looking for flavor through hops, you know, We had to step back at one point and look at a beer like Ballast Point's Grapefruit Sculpin and how incredibly successful that beer was and how amazing it tastes. And although we appreciated it and loved that beer, we were trying to grab some flavors that weren't derived from fruits but through hops. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty technically challenging because you have to, you know, combine your hops in such a way that they make these flavors that you're looking to achieve. Uh, right now we're looking for tangerine, strawberry, gummy, and melon. So to get those flavors into a beer without using strawberries and melons and tangerine is, isn't that easy. And it's certainly not as noticeable as a grapefruit sculpin is to grapefruit, but um, the nuances are there and the flavor profile is there. And it really just kind of makes the drinker stop for a second and be like, oh, wow, hey. I'm getting strawberry gummy out of this. This is awesome, you know? I'm trying to get trashed, and it tastes good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so those projects are fun because we just, you know, we have to stay innovative on what blends we're coming up with, uh, what new hop varietals are out there. Um, we're certainly active in hop breeding programs and qual- hop quality control groups, and I want to make sure that, you know, we're getting the, the best uh, – stuff out there as well as some experiment with some of the new stuff. Uh, so those brands are pretty fun. We just released a new hazy IPA called mind haze, super juicy, tropical, pineapple-y, yeah. um, super good beer. Um, we also released another beer totally different than anything we've done called Rosalie. 
Rosalie is a beer that's a, um, a wine hybrid beer that does a, um, a lactic fermentation uh, and colored by hibiscus flowers. So it's like a super unique beer, but it's essentially a, a rosé of beer. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, we're looking at clientele. And if, you, if you like apple ciders, uh, you like rosé wine, you like that style beverage, um, this is a beer that, that you should definitely get out and taste because that's the clientele that we're hoping to impress with it. Yeah, I could dork out on this all day, dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's I'm like drinking a Luponic Distortion right now while I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah, the, nice. The Ballast Point guys bring, I forgot what the name of the IPA, it was like, I think Purple something they bring in uh, when we did their, I had some Sculpin and I mean, I'm always buying beer for the guests, yeah. you know, because that's what makes it fun. Or loosen yeah. dudes up. Some dudes, you know, will, will have a couple beers and be like, all right, I'm ready to talk. You know? And, oh, yeah. You know? It keeps you loose. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it's, Sometimes it's, you talk too much. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how I fucked up uh, the Ballast Point podcast. We did it at Ballast Point in Long Beach, and uh, we kept it drinking is- Sculpins before we started. And I think I had like four before we even got on mic. So you had to take do a take two on that one, huh? We did, dude. <laughs> but it, it makes it fun. I mean, and you get to meet a lot of cool dudes. And uh, For like sure. I say, yeah, see, the brewing industry is a fun group with yeah. really good dudes. And those Ballast Point guys, like they know how to fish, no doubt. Their their fishing team's pretty badass, and yeah. their beers are killer. Um, I'm hoping to kind of set you know a little precedence on that and bring up some fishing activity through firestone and 805 myself yeah that's what that's what the video looked like it, it made an impression on me dude i saw it and i was like damn that's cool shit the way it's filmed oh, and awesome. everything i appreciate that and uh, getting a different uh you know area not just southern california you know yeah do you do yeah, some calico sure. bass fishing when you're down here at all no girl, i haven't i haven't flipped a bass jig and I can't even tell you how long it's been a long time. <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm a, you know, sort of a new father. My daughter will be two this may. So certainly I've been putting a little bit more home time in, um, you know, and I got other activities and hobbies I love to do as well. I, I play softball with some boys quite regularly have been since 2009. There you go. Occasionally I like to go golfing. Um, and I love nothing more than spending a Saturday in my backyard, smoking meats and drinking beers and hanging out with buddies. So uh, when I get an opportunity to fish, you know, my passion's in the ocean. Yeah, I hear you, man. I hear you. Um, you don't have, so the tackle shops, you pretty much either you order online or you're going to go down to San Diego and get your stuff when For you're buying. A lot, stuff. a lot of the time we have a couple little places down on the uh, waterfront. Um, you want to give them a shout out? Yeah, I mean, Jerry's in Morro Bay. He's kind of diverse in what he does. You can get everything from, like, crab traps and rigging gear for that. Uh, He's got, like, selections of used rods and reels as well as new stuff. Um, It's kind of fun to go in there and just shop around. Yeah. And then Port San Luis, uh, the boatyard there, uh, they have a small shop. And, you know, for what's relevant to us, which is essentially the, the fish I talked about, rock cod, halibut, sea bass, salmon. Um, they got everything we need over there too. And, you know, because we're, you know, a smaller community of fishery, it's just where everyone kind of knows each other. And yeah. And if you don't, I mean, no offense, you're, you're probably from Fresno or Bakersfield and, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, don't get a lot of time a day over here. You know, I know a lot of guys are hard on those guys, but you know, it just, it gets a little crowded. We have three 
total lanes of launching in the whole county. Oh, Morro Bay has shit. a two-lane launch ramp, which come Monday will be a fucking zoo. There'll be dudes camped out the night before, ready to go launch to go catch some rock cod. And Port San Luis has one hoist um, that oh, they run. Fuck. And although Port San Luis is a beautiful port um, and probably even more productive than Morro Bay, um, it's just... It, you know, you got, you got to be patient to get your boat in and out of the water there. Yeah. And if you're not hoist, exactly man. sure what you're doing and you're maneuvering your boat in and around people in manners that you shouldn't, um, this community will let you know. <laughs> no <laughs> I doubt. I bet. I bet. Well, hey, thanks for coming on, dude. Like I said, we're trying to spread our wings and, and you're, you're another guy that helped us get up north a little more. Hopefully we can get some more dudes up your way and then, uh, you know, if you ever get a chance to come down here, we're having a live event May 11th at uh, Taco Surf in Huntington Beach. So I think okay. there's going to be a lot of the guests. If you ever want to cruise down, hang out, dude, drink beers. If you're ever down this way and want to do a live one so we get drunk on the podcast and hang out, let me know, dude. You got it, Nick. Yeah. I'll hit you up next time I'm down that way. My, my brother and nephew and family still live down there, so I frequent a few times a year at least. So Yeah, I'll, definitely. We could do some I'll inshore. You guys up. Some inshore down here when you're over here. Sounds sounds awesome. All right. Thanks, Dustin. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Mike? How did you start fishing? Um, so I think I started at local lakes, but what I remember mostly is my dad worked in the oil fields off of Seal Beach. Yeah. And so um, my babysitter was Frank the Bum, which was a homeless guy. <laughs> <laughs> that was a serious science. <laughs> Um, so Frank the bomb was always at the pier at Seal Beach Pier so my dad would drop me off with him while he would go to work Yeah. and then I would fish all day with Frank the bomb <laughs> and then my dad would get off of work and then my dad would go you like fishing? I'm like yeah I'm having a good time he's like okay I'm going to the bar so my dad really liked to drink a lot so then my dad would go to the bar after work and then I'd fish from morning till nighttime. Wow. and uh, that's how I got into fishing then my mom would take me to local lakes bluegill fishing and um, stuff like that. I do a little largemouth stuff, but mainly as a kid, I was full bat ray man. Watch, watching the guys on the on the uh, Mud on the pier, did, watching them <laughs> as a kid, just seeing them fly up off the off the pier was. Yeah. Uh, I got off on. That's cool, man. man. That was cool. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into uh, with Scott <clears throat> when you took it more seriously. Um, when you got older, you like really started focusing on fishing. How, when did that all start? Um, I probably started getting more into it around uh, eighth grade, junior high, getting into mm-hmm. high school time, and uh, really, um, that's when I started, you know, getting bait casting gear and really getting more into artificials and <clears throat> and actually fishing. Um, but uh, with Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. 
With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You know, it's, it's, it, was a, it was kind of a process for me because for me, fishing was a get. you know, I, it, I used it to get away from things. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, in high school, I would just ditch school all the time. And just when I got a car, it was all over. <laughs> and uh, we used to basically, I had a buddy of mine and we used to fish all the time. And yeah. Just pack the car up, pretend we're going to school and go fishing all day. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, really, so. man. And uh, just a, a question for you because you're such a big freshwater fisherman. Right. Um, do you think that the freshwater helped you move into the saltwater a lot? I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's. You know, freshwater fishing is, is very technical, and the fish are a lot uh, a lot more moody. Mm-hmm. And uh, being able to get those fish consistently to eat um, and looking for patterns and, and just, uh, you know, different techniques. And, uh, you know, freshwater fishing is, it, you have such a huge book of, of tools that, that you have at your disposal. With saltwater yeah. fishing back in the day, we didn't have all this stuff we have today. I mean, guys were fishing, you know, little... Uh, football heads yeah. and little shrimp tails and mojo jigs and they didn't have a whole whole lot and um, with freshwater fishing I think that's what a lot of guys started doing was taking the freshwater gear and, and, and implementing it in salt and mm-hmm. it kind of started growing from there probably in the late you know mid 80s um, but uh, yeah definitely I, I I think it's a lot easier for a guy in freshwater to tra- you know transfer yeah, into, into salt uh, opposed to the other way around yeah, and I've experienced that. Like, I started freshwatering, freshwater fishing, and then my wife would complain and be like, oh, you ain't catching shit every time you fucking come home. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it makes it more weird because she's right behind you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but then I started coming, you know, like saying, hey, you know what? I bought a, I went to Last Chance and I bought a low, 17 foot low with the 60. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'll try going to the salt. And then me and my oldest son went and I caught a two-pound spotty. I'm like, fuck going to Diamond Valley. It's right here. Yeah. You know, and I right. can drive 20 minutes down from Whittier, you know, and be fishing and catch nice fish right. on the same gear I had. Oh, yeah. No, you know? definitely. It's, it's super fun. I mean, that's what we used to love doing is, is uh, we, you know, growing up, we fished the bay so much. And we used to fish the bay the same way we'd fish freshwater. I mean, I used to Texas rig and throw jigs and all sorts of stuff in, yeah. in the bay. Spinner baits and crankbaits. And mm-hmm. and uh, you could literally use this, you know, grab your rod and throw a crankbait and catch a spotty in the morning. And then that same gear, go to the go to the lake and catch largemouth. Yeah. You know, so. That's awesome, man. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean saltwater it's it's so hard because saltwater fishing is is just changed so much there's so yeah. much gear now that that guys have have really tweaked for saltwater use mm-hmm. and that they've you know that's come from freshwater and um i think guys nowadays have a have a lot of tools that they can use where Definitely. we didn't yeah you know, no braid <laughs> yeah no braid yeah. no braid braid's yeah. huge yeah yeah and what about you mike funny face guy over there <laughs> what was the question again <laughs> when you start taking it more seriously um so frank the bomb and stuff like i said when i first saw <laughs> when i first saw my first bat ray like it was probably like a 120 pounder fly out of the water uh-huh um i think i got my first bait caster but you know you have to cast really far so i would go to the park i would tie on a you know a heavy weight 
and I would be at the park all day just casting and casting and casting and practicing. And then um, as I you know, started getting really good on the piers, um, back then, I don't know if you ever heard of the Annie B. Barge. I've heard people talk about okay, it. Okay, so yeah. the Annie B. Barge was a barge that was anchored out, and, and you can go pay to fish there. Mm-hmm. Well, I ended up living there in, in the summers. Mm-hmm. So I would work, I'd work, and then at nighttime, I'd set up all my bat ray and, and smooth hound or gray shark, soup fin, whatever <laughs> you want to call them. I'd have all my rods set up because I'd be first one there. And then, um, and then I'd work, scrub the rails, you know, blood. And um, I, I did that for years. I lived on that barge. And then in the morning, we'd do Bonita with the little Daiwas, you yeah. know, just catch them on, on crocodiles and stuff. And then, um, and then I disappeared. I, I've, you know, from fishing, I went from surfing. And then from surfing, I went homeless. And then I went to Compton. So Compton from Compton to gangbanging to doing all the other stuff, I, I disappeared for a long time from fishing. And yeah. then uh, when I met my wife, I got back in the OC. Mm-hmm. And then um, as far as competitive or the calico bass and stuff, me and my wife used to go <laughs> battery fishing, running the skiffs up in Newport. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, that was me and her thing. We'd go out there, catch bat rays. I think I even caught a spot. I think we caught a spotted bay bass. And I called it a sand bass. That's how, like, <laughs> like what a kook I was, you know? But, um, but we had fun. But then, um, so surfing, that's uh, Eric Bent. Yeah, and another um, a friend of mine, Virgo. Mm-hmm. We used to surf together as kids, you know, and then and then we re we hooked back up, and then so that's when Bent started the uh, the SWA, and and so I was just coming around and stuff. He was like, "Hey, let's go fish the wall," and I'm like, "Okay, let's go fish the wall." So he took me out to the wall on his little whaler, mm-hmm. right, and we're fishing the wall, and I'm doing like I'm in the back seat and I'm doing the old man pop. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. You know, I got 20 pound mono on yeah, yeah. with a uh, you know just a regular swim bait head. And I'm roping them. <laughs> like old man pop just up there. Dude, I'm catching fives and all this. And, and EB wasn't catching shit. <laughs> man, he got mad in the motherfucker, man. I'll tell you what. He threw he almost threw his rod in the fucking water. And I'm just fucking roping him. Bam, bam. And then uh then so so then we're leaving, you know, he's all, hey, am I t- am I roping too much? Oh. Alright. So as we're <laughs> am I roping at, too much? <laughs> I'm completely dead now. I can't hear shit. Turn that one back. Oh, there up. we go. There okay, we there go. we go. And then it's going to be the... Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so I had a blast that night, dude. And we're leaving, you know, and we're leaving. And EB's all, hey, take a look at the wall. And I'm all, why? He's all, because that's the last time you're going to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Not with me. <laughs> and I'm all, what? So that's how I ended up getting my first boat. Because I, I fell in love with it. Yeah. I was like, this is badass. So yeah. Dude, my, my in-laws like, do you want to get a boat? They're like, I'm like, yeah, I found this boat. It was like five, I think it was 3,500. He's like, we'll loan you the money to get the boat. Damn. And then I got the boat, and it was a little high, 17-foot hydro sport, uh-huh. dude. And um, I think it had like a 150 on it or something, whatever. But, man, I, instead of competing, I would go down and watch the SWA every, every, every time the event went. And I would go out on my own, and I would, and I would and just learn as they weigh in. And then stuff like that, and I would go out and find my own spots and do this and that, and and um, that's when I really took it serious. Because then the following year, me and my buddy Mark Virgo, we partnered up, mm-hmm. and that was our first year of competing. Wow! And, and um, as a competitor, anything that I do competitively, I want to win. Yeah, I want to be the best at it. Yeah, um, not to be like oh, you know, but I compete against myself. Because yeah. anything that I do in life. I want to be the best at definitely and um so that's how that's when and how from kid to at this point not this point but in the beginning of my mm-hmm. 
saltwater career, career you want to call we're it we're rolling um, we're rolling we're rolling start. go yeah, ahead and check the mic one more time check 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 all right you're looking good sounding good looking good yep all right all right last a- time we had evan on we were talking about uh his boat and uh he got the boat <laughs> we did we uh we got the boat it went on a, a nice oceanic journey it made itself through the panama canal and you guys drove it over here no no i wish transcontinental no uh no we we shipped it we put it up on um a cargo ship and it left from fort lauderdale it uh went down i think it spent a night in cuba mm-hmm. and then it went through the panama canal and came up the pacific side and we picked it up at ensenada and that was the beginning of may i believe middle of may that we uh we picked the boat up and and brought it to its southern california home <laughs> to begin its west coast journey its west coast career but yeah the boat's been great we've had a lot of fun on it this year um you know it's definitely been an interesting build out process uh you know these boats from the from the east coast definitely have kind of a different stock spec as far as like your bait systems and stuff like that goes um so we've been putting quite a bit of time and and capital and research into to making sure that our systems are in line with our goals and uh now we're looking at i guess it's september now the middle of september and our southern california season's kind of on the tail end we're getting Uh ready for cabo and we just put the boat in the yard uh, where it's going to begin kind of a two-week yard phase so that we can start the next phase of uh, the Stella June's 2019 journey. Are you so. going to do the tournament in the Stella June? Yeah, we're hoping to. I okay. mean, right now our schedule is going to bring us to Cabo in the first week of October. Uh, and then there's like a you know, four or five s- s- tournament schedule down there. And, and I'd like to play with them all. So mm-hmm. it just depends on what my boss wants to do. Yeah, You know, if he's all in, I'm all in. We have the crew. We have the capabilities. Um we're fully built out and ready for pretty much any situation down there. Um, so I would love to fish all the tournaments. You know, it's did a, you guys it's a good get time new here. motors? Or? No. So uh, I think some people saw that yeah. on our Instagram. We we actually have two two big center consoles. We have a thirty five foot contender as well. Okay. So we repowered that with with fresh quad three hundreds Yamahas uh, to repower like some two thousand six two fifties. So that boat's kind of our smaller but still large center console. Because uh, that one run down here too? Yeah, we have that boat in the same location as the other one. But we cycle them between San Diego and here periodically just depending on, on where we are in the cycle, uh, in the fishing cycle. You know, we had the boats in San Diego earlier this year through kind of that late spring, early summer. And then we transitioned them north uh, where my boss lives so that they're more accessible for him when the fishing's, you know, conducive to, yeah. to the northern area. So, um We've actually got both boats kind of in a yard cycle right now. Uh, they'll be ready to go soon. We'll leave the contender up here so that we can still play with some stuff up here when the other boat is south. Um, and then we'll bring the Stella June, the Sea Hunter, uh, down to Cabo San Lucas and put her in the IGY for October and November and, and run our program down there. It's it's I'm excited. I mean, that's my favorite time of year. <laughs> this time of year, I mean, listen, I kind of get to the point this time of year where you're like, okay, Oh, a little bit of that SoCal fatigue. We've been catching tuna for like, what, six months now. Yeah. It's time for a change of pace. It's time for a new setting, um, new challenges, new opportunity, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's so, nice. It's crazy seeing that boat, man, how awesome it is. Like, set up, it's huge. Yeah, I mean, the boat's, the, the boat's amazing. <laughs> and, you know, what, what's neat about the boat is, I mean, I've always been a, a pretty hard-charging 
you know type of fisherman i like to i like to go fast i like to cover ground and move and and and, and have an active outlook on fishing and that boat is really conducive towards it so uh you have the ability and the capabilities to cover a tremendous amount of water uh you can fish very actively and it can play to to, to our strengths as like a younger engaged operation an operation that puts a pretty strong emphasis on on staying active and hunting and spending a lot of time like yeah on the hunt you know yeah. very engaged with the ocean around you uh, if you see something and you want it, you you have the means and the ability to get it. You know, mm-hmm. you kind of got to look around. It's like okay, it's like there's a foamer. I can see it. It's six miles away. You know, you do a little like half scan. Is anybody else like around? Do I have a clean line on it? Like, what am I gonna do? Okay, I want it. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, all right, you knock it up. Boat pops up. Lift those engines a little bit, and now you're going from like forty five to fifty five. And now you're at sixty. And now you're there. You know, it's yeah, big difference. It's a big difference <laughs> as opposed to like being in. Like my traditional skiffs, my maritime skiff or my parker, and you're just kind of plodding along at a measly 25 knots, yeah. and you're getting closer. Oh, but now it's falling apart. If you were there three minutes earlier, one minute earlier even, you would have had a different kind of opportunity on that spot. Uh, if we want something, we can get it on that boat, and then uh, you just kind of get it. So that's cool. Um, you could, you pretty much could, you're first in line most of the time. Yeah, I mean, in 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 the line concept in fishing is 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 always a challenge, especially when you're when you're in a crowded area, when you're in a crowded operating area. I I think that intention is everything. I think the first person who actively starts to move on a spot of fish has priority on that spot of fish. So if I see something and I'm moving on it first, uh, I'm gonna take it. You know. That's just how it is. But if somebody yeah. else is moving on it, then then there's some other factors at play. You don't necessarily. I'm not gonna run past a, <laughs> you know somebody on the same line. Yeah, just utilize yeah. my speed in that manner. Yeah. But you know if I look around and give it a half glass, and the nearest boat's four miles away, like I got a clean one, we have the capabilities to get it. I'm gonna go get it. You yeah. Know? Of course. And, I, and that's an obligation that I have to my crew and, and my boss, my owner, you know? Yeah. These guys are out there to catch fish. They spend the money. They've invested the money. I'm going to give them opportunities as they come, you know? Uh, and the boat allows us to do that. We have a tremendous hunting profile. We can cover a lot of water. Uh, we can fish really actively, really engaged, and really hard. Uh, and it's really just a fun thing to be a part of. Do you uh, do... You're doing charters out of that, too? No, but, I'm not. No that's charters? I think people, people... Oh, I didn't know that. People... I get so many things like, hey, like how much to charter the boats? Like, first of all, it's it would be a lot, you know? <laughs> we burn a tremendous amount of fuel every day. Uh, yeah. No, we're, we're, we're a private operation. So my only goal is to, uh, you know, work within the goal set of, of the person who owns the boat, which is mm-hmm. my boss, Ivan, who's a, a, an incredible, great fisherman in his own regard and really uh, has fostered a really cool team atmosphere. I mean, I really feel like I've got... Uh, a group of guys that I fish with every day who are really, really passionate about what we do. Um, Ivan is an amazing uh, team leader in the sense that he's brought a lot of really cool resources together and he's given uh, me and my crew and our team the opportunity to fish for this bluefin and for, and, and when we go to Mexico to fish for a whole new range of pelagic species um, you know, at a really high professional level. And, and I appreciate it. My team appreciates it. And I think our results are, you know, reflect that. It reflects a, a culture of excellence that he he uh, strives to put forward, you know, in correlation with our operation and my crew. So right now you're just you're just captaining that boat for him. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, uh, I mean, when he's ready, like when he wants to fish, he wants to get on the fucking fish, right? Yeah, I mean, we fish a day or two yeah. a week, you know. So yeah. uh, and and I'd say my actual physical fishing schedule is the, is the lightest 
it's been over the last few years. Like I legitimately will fish like one or two days a week. And then I spend a day prepping the boat a week, a couple days, you know, deep prepping and, 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 and giving it that like more long-term prep, you know, your details and stuff. Um, but, uh, we really try to maximize that day or two a week we have. You know, we do only day trips. We don't do any overnight trips. The boat could do overnight trips, but it's not necessary, right? Um, we'll leave the dock at 5 o'clock sharp every single morning for our trip, and we will fish till dark, and then we will run home. And it's yeah. a really nice full fishing day, and uh, we've been able to accomplish pretty much everything we've wanted to accomplish this season uh, within uh, those parameters, you know, once or twice a week. Do you think it feels a lot better now, uh not being as stressed out. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying you're ever stressed out fishing, but before you're running a charter, oh, yeah. you had to think, dude, I need to fucking make my nut. Yeah. I need to do this. Now you're kind of like, I know what I'm doing. Do you feel like a lot more less stress in your life? Like just knowing almost like a nine to five, but something you still love. Um, right. Uh, physically, this has been, it's easier on me. You know, mm -hmm. I think that the charter schedule can be, can be, you know, borderline abusive, right? I mean, if, if to really make your numbers work at the end of the year, you've got to fish like, you know, these five, 10 day stretches, 12 day stretches with no days off. That's yeah. how you make the numbers work. You have to put a lot of trips off the dock. You're not really making that much money when you factor in the expenses and your operating costs and your end of year costs and, and, in the attrition of tackle and boat, you know? So uh, I think within the program we have now, it's definitely easier on, on my physical health, you know, definitely on like my mental health, right? I get some more rest. <laughs> I get a couple of days off a week, but, uh, at the same time, uh, you still have to keep a really good bead on, on the fishery. And when you haven't been on the water for three or four days, um, this is where like having a great code group is really important. This is where, you know, with the mental clarity that you can achieve on that letter schedule, you have to still execute at a very high level, right? Uh, when we go spend $2,500 in fuel and expenses in a day, that is the equivalent of a charter. You know, like somebody is paying for that. It is my boss and he has expectations. You know, we go out there and we catch fish at a professional level. That is the expectation, mm -hmm. right? And, and we don't really deviate from that. And if we're not catching, it's like a, there's a very hard assessment as to why and you have to make corrections we really we've had a really incredible year nick i mean honestly our results have been great we've had a really great fishing year um i'm super satisfied with it uh but there is almost in a sense an added level of pressure because your program is kind of reset every day it's not like a direct like oh i've been out the last three days i know exactly where i left it and it's it, not it's not a uh to to kind of add to that it's not it's when he wants to go, right? Yeah. It's so not I'm like, on so you got to be We're ready. Yeah. You got to be ready all the time. Yeah. I mean, I mean, so you're still doing your homework. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and again, I kind of go back to, uh, we have a great code group. I've got, you know, four or five guys who, who, who I trust, uh, to work with, who mm -hmm. I've worked with for several years now. Uh, and, and that helps every single day on the water. You have to have an awesome code group. I think that it's a really important element of, of, of fishing in general. You know, mm -hmm. you have to have people who you can trust to help break down uh, the bite, to help break down a large, a large area of water. Um, but uh, we're prepared. You know, we keep a really good finger on the pulse. We, we know what's going on. We've been doing this for, for several years now. So... Uh, once you understand the fishery, um, it's not that it's stable, but uh, the the parameters have already been set. So you're working within a playbook that's largely been written already, and now you just got to kind of choose the right plays. But mm -hmm. they're already in the book, you know? Yeah. You got to know when to run the right one, 
but but the uh, the rule book's been written. The playbook's already on hand. Yeah. So. And, and so no one else is running the second boat. It's just there for when you guys are kind of um, want to use that boat in different locations. Yeah. Saves a trip. It's there already waiting for yeah, you. Yeah, it's a backup boat. You know, yeah. if we want to pull to Stella June for some maintenance, we have the uh, the contender ready to go, you know. I'm sure, I think we'd love to maybe do at least one trip this year where we run both boats out. They've, they've been on slightly different schedules, so we haven't had the chance this year. Um, but I know we, we definitely want to do that, you know. Send out the fleet. <laughs> It'd be fun, you know. Yeah. It's just, dude, fishing's kind of like that at this point. It's like, it, yeah, catch the fish, kill a bunch of big tuna. But damn, it's so fun to drive a sick boat around the ocean too. Like I think that for me, like I've caught tuna. We all catch tuna. Yeah. We're good at catching tuna. Tuna are fun to catch. Blood on the deck, meat under feet. You know, uh, I love just driving boats. I like the experience of looking out, uh, looking east every morning as the sun climbs above the San Gabriel Mountains, mm-hmm. and you're playing some good music, and it's washing over your ears. And yeah, like having a sick sound system. You're a music guy. Yeah, I mean, genuinely enhances the experience. So you're driving out, you're looking east, you're watching the sunrise. It's touching you like in a beautiful way, and I think that is the essence of my everyday experience. Um, you know, catching fish kicks in after that. Obviously, we slow down. We get our program to get our blow up a kite, rig ten baits. You know, everybody's in in kill mode, but uh, it's that hour and a half from when you leave the harbor. And because we're on such a stable schedule, we always leave at five, like on the dot. Mm-hmm. So the sky kind of changes a little bit with the seasons, but you're getting that beautiful morning light. And I think that beautiful m- morning light is just ah, oh, just. That's kind of like what, it's you, the best, what you're looking forward to in the morning. I mean, look at look, yeah. look at it. Southern California, you've got millions upon millions, 15 million people within 30 miles of where we are Dude, right now crazy, or something. Right? And, you, and you're on this line and you look around. It's like there really isn't anybody out here. It's a Tuesday. It's a Wednesday. <laughs> it's the middle of July or August. And there's a few boats on the horizon. But you have space. And this space is your space. Yeah. At least for a, for a small measure of time, you have this this wonderful feeling of freedom, uh, and 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 you can just express yourself out there. And we choose to express ourselves by catching lots of tuna. <laughs> Some people choose to express themselves by locating the nearest flock or of birds or pot of dolphins. And trust me, those people have been infecting Channel Six. <laughs> we got the whale watchers out there right now, and they'll be out there. It's like we're we're listening for like, hey, where's my buddy's going to give us a report? Blah blah blah. And then this is we're going to diverge. It's still beautiful. They have a beautiful job, but it's like, oh, our channel is now bubbling up with reports of common dolphins on the beach. We're forty five <laughs> miles from them, but it's like, oh my god. We got a spot of common dolphins moving north at six knots. It's a nursery pod. No, I kid. Everybody interacts with the ocean in a different manner. You know, I'm sure we're corroding the airwaves with our uh, with with our analysis as to how many tuna have died in the last 15 minutes or whatever. But um, no, I think it's beautiful when you when when you're driving out there in the morning and and you're taking in the natural beauty that is the ocean mm-hmm. and just the subliminal nature of, of what we do. When you take the fish out of it, when you take the marine mammals and our jobs and our purpose away from it, uh, it's just time in a space that is largely your own um, with no rules binding you to any set conclusion. Yeah. Wow, man. Dropping knowledge bombs again, huh? I mean, I'm just messing. That's why I'm well, here, no, Nick. It's, 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 a good, it's a good outlook to have I, I someone, like to you talk. know. I'm, 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 I'm actually a fairly introverted person yeah. uh, who, who, who probably spends too much time talking to myself. So it's nice to come on here 
and 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 talk and to vent, you, right? Vent, vent a little bit, right? <laughs> talk about everything that's been going on. What's your big fish this year? Uh, we've caught like a few fish that are like in that three hundred pound range. Wow. We don't really. You know, we, we don't really weigh our fish because we're out of Huntington Harbor and we don't have, like, an easy accessible weigh station. Um, but uh, I don't really think that the end number matters all that much. You know, if there's money on the line, then small digits matter. If it looks like it's a state record, absolutely find an IGFA certified weigh station. <laughs> uh, if it's taping at, like, 305 or 310 or 300, that's a perfectly acceptable upper caliber fish. And I'll take it for what it is, a beautiful, awesome game fish. You know, I think there's been this attempt, you know, recently towards the later part of the season for, for these operators and for these people to start putting this odd emphasis on a fish being weighed on a certified scale, hashtag certified, you know? And I think it's a little goofy because like, all right, I get it that there's operators who are who are frustrated with the fact that, hey, uh, it's, you know, a Saturday, we're at the east end of Clemente, everybody rounded the corner and balled themselves up into a giant pile of boats, and everybody's catching some fish because it's a good day and there's some nice swim-throughs. Yeah. How do you differentiate your accomplishment from the 21-year-old kid who just drove a skiff out from Oceanside Harbor and he's got four gas cans on the back <laughs> and five poorly rigged dead flyers, yeah. and he just caught a 330-pounder next to you, the <laughs> pseudo-professional, who's been out here for the last three weeks straight but hasn't caught one over three, yeah, yeah. you know? And I think that it's like this whole emphasis on like, oh, it must be certified on a scale. The tape doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. I think it's just um, I think it's just an attempt to almost delegitimize uh, the accomplishments of people who might not have the means to hang every fish they catch on a scale, right? That is the same fish. It's the same class of fish. It might be five or 10 pounds heavier. Maybe it's 20 pounds heavier or lighter, mm -hmm. but the caliber of fish is roughly the same. Nobody's fishing for money. Uh, the accomplishment side of things, yeah, it's a great achievement to catch a super cow, um, but you're, you're operating in an era where, like I kind of said, the playbook's been written. You know? You're not doing anything meaningfully different at this point in the season than most of the people fishing around you. I think that we run an extremely proficient fishing program. We have our little like things that we do that I think we do really, really well. Mm -hmm. They give us an edge. But at the end of the day, when you get a good swim through and everybody's piled up and the playbook's already been written, there's a lot of people who are going to catch good fish. And I think that each fish should be celebrated uh, you know, universally, it's a beautiful fish. Whether it's 295 or 305 means absolutely nothing. Ask the commercial guy if he's ever put one on a certified scale. And the answer is no, because when he <laughs> weighs those fish, they've already been gilled and gutted. They've already been processed and dressed. They're never going to give you an accurate certified weight, yeah. but they've caught 30 times more tuna than anybody who can give you the accurate certified weight. Yeah. You know, the number doesn't matter. Yeah. The fish at the base of your feet that is way bigger than anything you could have ever conceivably hoped to have caught 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, even seven years ago, mm -hmm. six years ago, right before we started to touch this stuff with our hands, that fish is a fish of immense beauty and wonderful caliber and it should be celebrated. <laughs> I so agree. Yeah. Screw I mean, the numbers. So what, the yeah, numbers that's mean a cool, nothing. cool way to, to think about it too is to think about what you caught. Yeah. More think than thinking it. about what size. I mean, I, I know guys, right? Like guys who I know for a fact have caught the most upper class fish this year. A good friend of mine, mm -hmm. my buddy Weston, into the depth sport fishing. Okay. I bet you trip for trip throughout the season, he's caught the largest volume of fish over 100 pounds. Wow. He goes out most days and catches like three or four or five or six of these big fish, right? Uh, 
He has not caught one that has gone on a certified scale over 300 pounds. Is he a lesser angler because he does not have a certified super cow? Absolutely not. Because he's caught probably 10 to 15 times more good quality upper caliber fish than than most operators and certainly any average like amateur fisherman, right? Mm-hmm. Or somebody's just doing it as a, as a week time hobby. Now, again, when I say this, I'm not trying to take away from the accomplishments of people who yeah. have hung a 300 pound plus fish upside down on the scale. That's a wonderful accomplishment and it should be celebrated as well. But I don't think you should ever try to make any attempt to delegitimize someone else's fish that is absolutely roughly right there. And just because it taped plus or minus five or 10 pounds does not make that a lesser animal. It is not a lesser fish. These fish walk through and like what? You're going to get like a swim through. It's a year class fish. They're all roughly the same size. It's not like you're going to catch a 450, you know? Like, And if you do, by all means, what a wonderful accomplishment. <laughs> Definitely weigh that on the certified scale if you have one that like, yeah. you think is over the state record. But the challenge is consistency. What's the state record right now? I think, what, the 360, I think? Wow. So there's some that are close. I think the challenge uh, in fishing at this point, the individual fish doesn't matter, Uh it's a season protracted over six months, right? Mm-hmm. It's consistency. When the fishing is at Clemente, when it's in its current state, it is easier to catch a 300-pound tuna on a dead flying fish on the backside of San Clemente Island than it is to catch a 60-pounder on 20-pound in a sardine. Yeah, It is easier to catch a super cow than it is to catch like a 60-pounder on bait. In yeah. my opinion, I mean, honestly, you know, these fish are exceptionally stupid when they when they get into like these biting modes. Like the the dead flies are like very hard to resist when they're rigged properly and deployed properly. Like they really don't say no when they're in like a certain like temperament. You know, is it hard to rig them properly? The yeah, I think flyers? that's the biggest challenge is like having what we call a kosher flyer, and it's mm-hmm. something that we put a lot of emphasis on. Is like making sure that the filaments and the wings are all intact. I mean, there's a huge difference between a properly rigged dead flyer and one that's just not quite there if you can get the rigging down uh and you spend a little bit of time back there and you're running a proficient program you're going to get a shot at a 300 pound fish it's and there's an different inevitability. there's different ways to rig them right like there is like uh, a, there's like a couple maybe like five or six there's different maybe one or two ways to do it truly correctly okay maybe two ways you know mm-hmm. and it's just a matter of what you want to do there's probably six or seven ways that somebody will say you can do it yeah in our, in my opinion, you know, having <laughs> we've rigged hundreds upon hundreds of these this year, I yeah. think there's only really a couple ways that are like these are the superior ways to do. These yeah. are the, the vastly correct means to rig a dead flyer. Um, if you're rigging your gear right, if you're running the playbook that has already been written by people who put on a lot of work a month ago, a year ago, two years ago, uh, if you're out there, you're going to get some shots at some really big fish right now. Right? Yeah. So go enjoy that. Go enjoy the opportunity at these big fish. The wonderful ones in a lifetime situation we're dealing with right now, which is, hey, there are super cows biting on the backside of San Clemente Island. And if you go out there and pay attention, you have a really good shot at hooking one of these amazing <laughs> fish. It's yeah. incredible, really. It's yeah. fantastic. It's unheard of. It's beautiful. Get out there. Get out there. Go fishing. <laughs> Go fishing. Let's, you know? uh, let's do some Q now. I got to get my phone for my wife. So hold on one second. Okay. I left it in the fucking house. You left it in the house? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Take the wheel. Take the wheel? What do I talk about? See, now, now, we're, now we're just like right back. This is what I do all day. Now I'm talking to myself. Shit. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> he's, he's back. I'm back. 
How's your screen time for the week? <laughs> oh, horrible. Comment. Horrible. Oh, my God. I'm at like six hours a day. It's terrible. <laughs> oh, okay. shit. I swear I'm just looking at tempbreak.com. <laughs> analyzing those fine lines on the graph. Got to know where my tune are. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay, we're going to do Q&A. All right, Q&A. I like this. is great, though. Q&As are good. It takes the pressure off us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some, some of them are a little... Uh, hey, give me the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, we got the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Aye, <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Okay, right. we'll start. Uh, okay, a couple more. Are these in. all anonymous? Yes. Or the names. Yeah. Damn, I can't. I, I yeah. address you. Let's start from the bottom. So this one's uh, from the bottom. Now we're here. How did you meet Jungle Boys? Jungle Boys. So, um, Jungle Boys, uh, the guy who owns uh, the Stella June, is the owner of the Jungle Boys. Okay. And I think I might have talked about it on our last podcast, but. Basically, the leader in cannabis production in the LA region, probably the world. Yeah, uh, Ivan chartered my boat last year in San Diego. We went tuna fishing. I took him out on my twenty-three foot Parker, and I think I abused him so terribly on this twenty-three foot Parker <laughs> that he just felt so bad for me that he had to give me a better opportunity. You know, those twenty-three Parkers are just violent little devils. Yeah, I swear to God, never buy a twenty-three foot Parker. <laughs> I swear, don't do it. I've only been on one Parker. Oh God, I've only been on Dwayne's. That's it. Dwayne, the twenty-five is a much better boat. The twenty, it's a really good boat. The twenty-three is just an abusive little devil i swear to god <laughs> uh, definitely the worst boat i've ever owned yeah and nothing against parkers i mean they're built fine it's just like it's 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 just got terrible ride qualities but we went out there one day and we um we uh we were chasing around some foam and, and skipping the yummy around and we got like a nice 140 pounder on the kite and caught a bunch of foam fish and had a great experience and it was fun and then we did it again and had another fun trip and then i started running as contender you know helping him out on that and then we talked about buying a Stella June, and things just snowballed from there. But yeah, Ivan's changed my life, man. Uh, he's given so you, me. You haven't known him forever. You just I know haven't him from known him the last year. Okay. Um, but you know, he's given me really amazing opportunities and, and stability and opportunity that that uh, I mean, dude, I was like, I swear, I was just, I was on the verge of quitting fishing, man. Like I was real, I was hurting. I was in like physical pain. I was having a, like after at the end of last year. Like, my body was, like, I couldn't really fish, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, that Parker's, again, I'm a pretty aggressive, like, fisherman. You know, oh, there's foam, and I want it. It's like, I'm young, I can take it, but your back really can't, you know? (laughs) It really can't. I don't know how some of my, like, my younger compatriots do it. You know, these guys, again, some of the best fishermen on the coast, my buddy Weston, for example, he's still out there pounding around every day on a park. He's on a 28 now. He's 21. I'm like, dude, I I hope your back's okay in five years, genuinely, you know? Yeah. Um. But it was starting to really catch up with me. Uh, but Ivan gave me a really good opportunity to fish, kind of a, in a in a in a, an environment that was more conducive to to my long term health and 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 it's been great. You know, I really appreciate him and his family and and and, and his his circle for giving me a great opportunity. That's so, cool. Yeah. It's a great way to meet someone and yeah. you know, cool story. Well, I think that's a lot of charter guys. You know, in this industry, the best. The best path forward at the end of the day, I think, is to segue into more of the private side of it. Um, running charter boats forever, it's tough, man. That's a, that's a hard grind. The people who have really good clientele, um, it's a little easier if you have great clientele. You know, mm-hmm. these people, you're fishing with the same people. You know, every week, every other week, you got the same guy coming out, you know, and it's it's more of like a, a charter club than an open situation. You know, you know most of your clients, you screen your clients. Um, and I think that works pretty well. Um but, uh, you know, for somebody like me who, who, who always wanted to get out of California and explore some of the more 
you know, heavy technical sides of the sport. Um, it was necessary for me to get out of the charter side of it to, to really do that. And you I did been, a little Florida fishing yeah, too, right? Well, yeah. Only when I went out there with Ivan, yeah. you know, I've been out there a couple of times, but yeah, we went out there to go fish with Ivan when we were getting ready to, to get this boat and take this boat back out here because sea hunters built in Florida. So it was cool to experience that, but you know, I'm, I'm a West coast guy through and through. I love our fishery out here. I love the elements of our fishery. I think we have a fantastic fishery out here. Yeah. Southern California sport fishing right now, <laughs> potentially the best in the world. Really? In the, in the United States, certainly. Yeah. I, I would argue that we have the best fishery in the United States at this time right now. Wow. Our tuna fishery, certainly. There yeah. is nowhere else where you can go. You can catch a big bluefin tuna every single day right now. Not just one. You can catch many yeah. big bluefin tuna every day right now. I mean, I go out there and it's like, do we want to go chase 60 to 130 pound foam fish on the inside? Do we want to go back behind the island and catch like some, you know, yeah, we'll catch a bunch of that like 80, 90, 100 pounders, maybe a couple of those 140, 150s. You know, maybe we'll get like some small twos and yeah, we'll probably get like a big bite too. Maybe we'll get like a 300 pounder or a 270 or something. Yeah. Like you're weighing your opportunity based on whether you want to go throw lures at 80 to 120 pounders or oh, whether you yeah. want to go drag around a, a dead fire for 100 to 300 pounders. Yeah. You know, yeah. that is how you're weighting like what you want to do on a day. Right. Which is amazing, right? Which I is mean, amazing. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's incredible. Uh, pinch me, you know, who would have ever thought <laughs> it's incredible. And you've been doing this for a minute. So you saw it. Did I, you see it kind of happen? Literally a minute. It's been a minute. <laughs> Let me turn off the a camera. minute. No, yeah, but you have. Been you know? That long. We're doing it a minute uh, in this life is like an hour, you know? Yeah. I got a lot left here, right? <laughs> it's been a minute. Yeah. And look what we've seen. Yeah. Four or five years, a drop in the bucket. Maybe a few drops. There's a good There's a good question coming up about that, too, how right. long this is going to last. But we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, hey, guys, hope you're doing well. My question is for Evan. Uh what are your top three baits for fishing areas from PV to Malibu? I'm thinking Calico. Thinking Calico bass. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Um, you know, when I was fishing a lot of bass, we were throwing the weedless around a lot, and I think it's really fun to throw the weedless bait around. It's a good visual bite. Um, you know, I used to throw like a lot of like big poncho stuff, like the grumpy faces, uh, you know, like the game changers, like a, a weedless, like a MC weedless is a great bait too. Um, so I love to throw the weedless. I think you can, anytime when you're you're dealing with like, uh, I think it's really good for fishing like the kelp, you know, when you're, when you're really targeting like an isolated stretch of structure, like, okay, I got like some small isolated lanes. I want to roll something through like this 10 foot lane right now. I don't want to snag it up. You know, you're just squirm a little MC weed this down this lane, maybe get a bite, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, let me think back. The spinner bait. I love throwing the spinner bait. We had a lot of success with the spinner bait. What kind of spinner bait were you using? Like then? a heavy, like a like a two ounce spinner bait. The uh, revenge ones. Yeah, any one, like a heavy, like a one okay. and a half or a two ounce one, uh, like a chartreuse and white. Okay, and and that would get bit, like in especially in, like some dingy water. You know, sun's out, dingy water. You know, you get bit real good on the blade. Um, same thing with like the react, the lucky lucky crabs, like the reaction bait. Same thing. You know. Uh, I used to throw that big big camera sledgehammer on a lot, that nine inch swim bait really? on just like a like a one and a half or a two ounce like warbait's head or something. And 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 we did well in like tournaments like a like a Clemente and stuff. Yeah. We'd roll that around and get big bites. But it would work well on the beach too as well. Uh like a little swim jig sometimes. Like I we had good trips. We did well in a in a couple tournaments throwing uh up in Malibu actually, like kind of picking apart some of those like beach boilers. 
with uh with small uh like small war bait swim jigs with like four inch big hammer swim baits on them like kind of a real small like with 20 yeah. pound 25 pound yeah um kind of a lighter setup and just kind of fishing low and slow and just letting those float around in the wash yeah. we used to do real well on those um you get like a you get in like an area where it would stack up a little bit and you'd actually get like a few good bites and we had a tournament we got like a third place finish in a marina del rey tournament back on the whaler uh that's nice and that was just throwing those little those little swim jigs around real tight to the beach you know and just getting a few good bites on those good info um, right there yeah totally uh, you know, it seems like in the last few years, it, through that El Nino cycle, I think a lot of that fish kind of pulled off the beach in certain areas. There was a lot of like crab, you know, suspended in a little bit of deeper water. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of that bass volume pulled off the beach and started orienting more in that deep water, more in the shelf, you know, mm-hmm. more in the kelp line. Um, so a lot of those presentations that started to get more vertical um, were really productive, you know, yeah. like those small swim based swim jigs and stuff like that. The best way today for me to earn a big bite calico bass fishing is to throw on a surface iron i love throwing the jig around really yeah you get a little bit of laid down kelp you know yeah. when you have like open corridors where you can actually fish it without like covering it up in grass and kelp and stuff when the conditions laid low when you need to draw a fish out of like low in the water column right if that kelp's laid down 20 feet under the surface and uh and you need to draw fish, you know, up vertically. Yeah. Uh, you know, those big presentations are nice. And that, that, that jig allows you to cover a lot of water. Uh, it has a lot of drawing power on big fish, mm-hmm. you know. So it'll draw fish from a distance. Uh, pretty good connection rate, you know. The fish stick on them. Those yeah. travel hooks are nice, you know. <laughs> you can kind of wind through small bites sometimes on the jig too, which is nice. You'll see like small fish, small fish, small fish. And then like a bigger one will kind of come and slink in there and get it. Yeah. So when you're dealing with like kind of that brown cloud style fishing, where there's a lot of fish around, you know, mm-hmm. really active, wadded up fish. Uh, I feel like you can kind of wind it through small fish, small fish, small fish, big bite, you know? Yeah. Kind of holds the small fish off. It's yeah. Yeah. Um, dude, it just depends. There's so many, <laughs> I mean, we've you catch bass and pretty much everything. I mean, the bass isn't a terribly difficult fish to catch. You yeah. can catch it on, on a, on a wide range of different lures. And I think it comes down to, to what your personal cadence preferences are. Are you an active power fisherman? Okay. You're going to want to throw on like the jig or you're going to want to like fast wind the swim bait or, you know, you want to roll around a, a spinner bait or a hard bait or something, you know, are you more of a finesse fisherman? Okay. Like crawl around a swim jig, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. It just depends on, on what you're feeling on any given day. Yeah. You know, great answer, dude. Was that okay? I don't, yeah. I don't fish that much bass anymore. No, it's but still I feel a good like answer. that's what I would have thought about back in the day when I was doing yeah. a lot. I think that was that that would be how I would have broken it down. Carry a jig stick, carry a couple reaction baits, and have a couple varieties of swim bait ready to go. Yeah, you know, a heavy swim bait for low cover, um, a with the swim bait for for upper column stuff. Uh, a big reaction bait for drawing a big bite, a small reaction bait for when you just want to throw on some 14, 15 inches, a little lucky craft. You'll catch a little bass all day long. Yeah. Just go twitch around that lucky craft. You'll catch that like 14, 15 inch bass all day long. You know, fun times, great times. <laughs> it's so fun. It's so easy. I went to Clemente a couple times this year with Ivan and it was super fun. Just fishing lucky crafts and oh, stuff. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like fishing everything. We, we were yeah. fishing like deep diving crankbaits. We were throwing around the weed this. We were throwing around the jig and just having so much fun out there. I'm like, damn, like this is super fun fishing. This is like fishing at its most like basic, fun, enjoyable level. You stop the boat. You set up a nice little drift. You start casting and you're casting and you're casting. And it's not like you're waiting for that one cast, that one connection. Like yeah. you make like a solid hundred casts and you get like a solid 15 or 20 bites uh-huh. and it's fun. But hey, thanks again for coming on. 
we still need to get the crew on Seth yes. and, and let's get Jeff and Jared on. That'd be cool. You know, we'll, we'll come we'll, back maybe after Cabo. Yeah. So we're going to go down the Cabo Winter right time, now. it gets slow. Are you yeah. going to be even cool? Come by at Fred Hall. We'll have you Fred Hall, on. that'd be sick. Yeah. Yeah, no, we'll definitely do some more. Listen, um, thank you, Nick. I said it earlier in the podcast, but for all your viewers like this, and if you guys are looking to support a really cool independent media resource and outlet, uh, this is the one, in my opinion, I really, I give it my highest endorsement possible because i think it's really neat thanks but, uh, bro thank just you do us a favor me. and give us give us five stars on itunes five stars five stars on five iTunes. stars on itunes yeah that's all i want <laughs> it's just that it's like it's like it's like elementary school there you, you know? go give me, give the me five a star in the bird hey quality models one more time qms baby you know it <laughs> <laughs> all right guys thanks again thank you so much evan all right uh first video podcast we'll see how this goes Woo. all right thanks, thanks guys. Guys. Yeah.